Hey everybody and welcome to episode 98 of the Sunny 16 podcast. Uh, it's me, Graham, here this week uh, as aid has gone away again. I had to self-edit there very quickly. Um, but that's alright, as usual, because the far more reliable and far more lovely Rachel is here as well. Rachel, how are you? <laughs> Hi Graham, I'm good, thank you. Not too bad. Um, it has been absolutely throwing it down here today, um, unfortunately. But um, but yeah, apart from that, I'm I'm fine. Um, it, I did I did have one day where I managed to get a t-shirt out of the uh, out of the chest of drawers, and now I'm back into about three or four layers of jumpers, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, but such is the way. Yes, it's good for you though in the garden, I suppose. Yeah, we since we last recorded, or since you last recorded, because I wasn't here last week, which is why. You and Aid had a field day being very mean to me, but that's all right. <laughs> I forgive you. Um, we had a heat wave and it was very nice. And I have now moved into shorts for the rest of summer. When it comes to workwear, I'm like, that's it. Once I move into shorts, I will not wear long trousers again until end of October, probably. So um, everybody <laughs> can look forward to seeing my very sexy legs on an internet screen near you soon. Look out for that, people. Um, we have got an awesome guest tonight. Uh, we have got somebody on to talk about stuff that we've not really ever talked about before, which is always good. Uh, lots of photography stuff, but also some film stuff as well. So it is a great pleasure to welcome to the show uh, Tristan Aitchison. No. <laughs> nope. No, wait, hang on. <laughs> Tristan Aitchison. There you go. Because um, there's no N in it. It's not like Don and Aitchison. Um, it's different from that. Tristan, welcome to the show. Hi there. Thank you so much for having me on. It's an absolute pleasure. Um, now, you are based way up in the Highlands of Scotland, um, which is why your call collection sounds a little bit shonky tonight. Um, and you got in touch a little while ago with me to say, oh, I'm, I'm doing this thing and um, it might be of interest to you. Um, and as soon as I looked at it, I got the email whilst I was out at work. And as soon as I saw what you were talking about, I was like, oh, this sounds super interesting. Um, so just to give a very quick overview on the kind of things we're going to be talking about tonight you're a filmmaker um you've just um released your first feature-length film um called sydney and friends um you're also uh, an analog photographer and a printer you've had exhibitions and all sorts of stuff so we've got a lot of stuff to get to tonight but i really wanted to start off by talking about um the film Sydney and Friends, which has said has just um, it's just doing the circuits of all the film festivals and stuff now. If mm -hmm. I understand, yeah. Um, so, can you talk to us a bit about how you came to be making films in the first place? Because this is something fairly new for you. Mm -hmm. uh, yes. So, um, I am self-taught. Uh, I was teaching English in South Korea up until about 2009. Um, I'd studied social work at, uh, uh, in the University of Bristol, uh, but never practiced that. And when I came back to Scotland in 2009-10, um, I decided to study a long distance uh, postgraduate course in screenwriting at Screen Academy Scotland at Napier University in Edinburgh. And um, so I was writing scripts um, and that was a lot of fun and I enjoyed that a lot. Um, and I was doing really well. But it got to a point, nothing was really being made. Um, and so I thought, well, you spend all this time and effort writing things and you get a lot of positive feedback. Why don't I just try and make something myself? Um, and having never made something myself, I never picked up a camera. So I wasn't doing any photography at this point. Um, I managed to borrow a camera and I wrote a script for a location that I'd found. 
um, and this location was an abandoned Victorian um, care home in the middle of the mountains north of us. Um, and I broke in to that abandoned care home with a 73-year-old actress. <laughs> and Your partner in and crime. She, <laughs> yeah. Well, I've done a lot of other stuff with her as well. Uh, she's, she's, she's a great laugh. I've even put her in a pink velour tracksuit with uh, beauty and diamantes across her bottom. Um, um, but we can come to that later. Um, broke into the abandoned care home and, and um, shot this film on Midsummer's Day, I think 2013, and um, got caught. Um, he got caught? We got caught. So, uh, um, so yeah. So this is a four-story, huge, big, kind of mansion-y, haunted house sort of a place. Uh, it was raining. Um, it was full of creaks and groans, and and oh, and it was a care home. It, it kind of it was gross, really gross. And um, and yeah, we got caught. It was. Um, I don't know. I'm. Yeah, I kind of go off on a big tangent here, but you know, I know your shows last for two hours, so <laughs> here it goes. <laughs> Here it goes. So I'd only scouted out the location and um, I kind of knew which rooms we could shoot in and which rooms we might not be able to in case you might be able to see in from the window. We are in the middle of nowhere, but just in case I knew there was um, a house next door where the state owner, uh, state manager must have lived. Um, and so we set up, we started doing all the uh, um, filming and just it was our luck that day that suddenly chain stores started blaring outside a window and there was two guys with chainsaws cutting oh my God, down this really is a horror film yeah cutting down rhododendrons right by where we're filming and it was like i was i was so scared it was like the mick texas chainsaw massacre it was <laughs> <laughs> it was so scary and so we managed to kind of sneak around and get up to the first floor and we carried on um shooting we're doing quite well um and then from the first floor window, I could see this man approaching with two dogs. I was like, oh, no. And then with him were two, like, big kind of bouncer sort of looking guys. I was like, oh, no. And so it was. I was in there with the 70-year-old actress and um, the cameraman who was stoned and <laughs> and his wife who smoked Rolay cigarettes and was just kind of the lookout. And um, we, I thought, well, okay, we'll just go up to the top floor and we'll film what we can until we get caught. So we got up to the top floor and um, I could see they're coming in. We could hear them down below kind of going around trying to find us. This room, this house is massive. We've got so many rooms. And eventually it was like, oh, no, I can. F they're on the floor below us. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? I know what I'll do. I'll send the stoned cameraman down with a white flag and just give herself up because anything could happen here. Like, you know, they could shoot us. Um, so... I sent him down and I was left up on the top floor with Mo, the 73-year-old actress, who's wearing a blue, like, Rita from Corrie night coat. I don't know. Um, that was how I describe it. Like a house coat, I think you call it. Yeah. Uh, like an elderly woman would wear in the house before she goes to bed, but like a dressing gown. So she was wearing that. And we could hear the men coming up the staircase, which was, uh, which was a fire exit, actually. They were coming up. And luckily, we put all the film equipment just to block that fire exit, health and safety. I know I don't, I've done my risk assessment. So we blocked this fire exit. <laughs> the men came up, opened the door, and saw me and Mo. Obviously, obviously, because I'm such a such a, <laughs> a stellar, strong, authoritative director. I jumped behind the 73 year old actress, going, <laughs> "No, because <laughs> they're not going to attack her." No, no. Um, um, and um, 
And they said, what what the, what the F are you doing? Blah, blah, blah. And it's like, oh, no, nothing. We're just shooting a short, we're just shooting a short film. And they went, oh, no, you're not. You're shooting granny porn. We've seen the, we've seen the, we've seen the long haired guy downstairs. It's like, no, no, we're not. So, so anyway, um, the, the, the state manager turned out to be very nice. He said, why don't you just ask permission? I said, a fast position. We wouldn't have got it, blah, blah. And um, he ended up being really nice and telling me the whole story of the house um, and how back in the time it was on uh, That's Life with Esther Ranson as a ghost story. Uh, and they'd sent, I can't remember what the guy was, uh, Healy, I can't remember, Paul, he, uh, the guy that used to present it with Esther Ranson, I can't remember his name. He came out there and spent the night in it and they filmed uh, this is when it was a hotel and a bit like The Shining and and, and filmed and, and told all those ghost stories that happened there. He allowed us to finish filming and we did. And that was kind of the end of my very long winded story about the care home. It's great. Um, and the um, finished product is a short. It's what, about 12 minutes long in the film? It's, 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 I think it, it's 14 minutes and I think people say it's about 10 minutes too long. Yeah, <laughs> it's um, you can see it on your website. We'll give all the details out at the end. Um, it's quite disturbing would be a good word for it it is it's definitely not a thing to watch before you go to bed unless you don't like sleeping terribly well um <laughs> but uh, the places where it's actually really uh, what i found particularly interesting was looking at this and the location because had you uh, had you found the location and came up with the idea or did the idea come first yes yeah I, so as i was starting uh, you know you know formulating a short film ahead you see an awful lot of short films and 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 a lot of them, you know, there's some standout ones, but a lot of them look the same. And this because they're made by people with no budgets. And and you, you, but you see the same. You see the same parks in Glasgow, the same flats in Edinburgh, the same I don't know nightclubs in Manchester, whatever it is. It's the same locations and the same sort of feel. And I thought, well, what can I do that's different? Well, I already live in a place that's different from most people. Um, so I'll use you know use the Highlands as my location. It's like well okay that's great if I'm shooting I don't know Outlander or Hamish Macbeth or something, Monica the Glen. But I want to do something that's more me, um, and and obviously with the training in in social welfare, I, I my films kind of always involve this sort of uh, justice side of things. So I'd written this about uh, elder abuse, and it was just at the time that the Panorama show. Uh, actually uh, uncovered terrible abuses in the care system. I think it was Bristol, um, the private care system in Bristol. And I thought, well, I've written this and and I've just seen this program and what the reality is actually much worse than what I've written. So I went again and rewrote it. Um, And then um, with this care home in mind, and obviously I, I kind of, I do love horror as well. So it was kind of playing with so we call it horror. It's not really a horror, but playing with horror tropes. Um, that so using tropes that they'd use in horror, so things like Luton buses and all these sort of things. Uh, but when actually in a story that's actually very very serious. Um, and so I think a lot of people watch it thinking they're going to get horror and and don't, and mm. and then write. Per- <laughs> I think write, they might. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, write really rude reviews on the YouTube channel. But I don't mind that. I kind of it, I mean, it makes me laugh. Um, I, I, but it's playing with. I don't want to give too much away because obviously you've seen it, and there's a lot of open ends. It doesn't tie up any any. There's no. There's a lot of questions unanswered. Or, or what the hell is it about, really? Um, but I think 
you know, when you watch it, I think most people, if they've got any intelligence whatsoever, will realise it's about being old and about what happens to you when you get old and who looks after you and how your mind works and dementia, um, these sort of things. Um, but also reality, you know, is it reality? And I, it really annoys me when I see people talk about it uh, on YouTube and, and say, oh, what's an old woman doing in this care home? been there by herself for seven years it's like you dumbass it's like well obviously that's not what you're watching isn't you know actually what's happening it's like how could she survive in that building you know mo who did it you know bless her she's you know she was amazing but um she you know at the end of the day she was freezing and shivering and she's a healthy woman at 6 30 she said i've got to go i've got my pilates class um <laughs> after after I'd stuck, shoved her in a cupboard and said, uh, cry, Mo, cry. <laughs> <laughs> I can't cry, I can't cry. Well, just, I've got these, um, I've got these Japanese uh, eye drops. Just put a couple of them in your eyes. <laughs> so, I didn't tell her they were menthol. One of the things that I really noticed um, in terms of the way that the film was put together is that there are quite a lot of very static shots within the filming of this. Now, you said that you weren't actually into photography at the time when you made it. No. Is, did the film lead you into your interest in photography, or what is it that kicked off your interest in still photography? Uh, well, it, so after that, I borrowed that camera, then I thought, okay, um, I, I want a camera of myself. So I bought a, a mid-to-low-range DSLR. It was a Canon 550D. And, um, and I, obviously, you get the kit lens with it, and I was like... Pick, it was like, well, this is a bit crap. What am I going to do with this? Um, how can I get other lenses? I looked up the lenses, and they were really expensive. I was like, well, I can't really afford these. Um, and then I just kind of found out that we could put old lenses on on these cameras. So I just I, d I bought a, what did I buy? I think it was a Zenit EM, or a Z I think it was a Zenit EM with a Helios mm -hmm. attached to it. And it came through the post, and I screwed the lens off and chucked the camera in the cupboard and put the lens on. And you missed the bin, adapter. did you? Don't stop that, Graham, right now, because <laughs> I love Soviet cameras, so we'll get onto that as well later. We will. Um, threw it off, the Helios, put it on. I was like, wow, this is amazing. I love these looks. I love the looks that I can get with this. Uh, it's really cheap. Uh, I'll start collecting more lenses. So I started to get some more lenses. And then and then you're taking lots of shots on your digital camera, thinking they're amazing, and putting them through Photoshop or Lightroom and putting all these ghastly effects on them, thinking you're the best photographer in the world. And... Um, I thought when I got bored of all of that and no one was interested in my photos, I thought, well, oh, what was that? That kind of that hunk of yeah, tank metal that I threw into the back of the cupboard. I took it out, I put the lens back on, bought some film, and um, tried it. And I got it back, uh, and it was I was hooked straight away. Um, I just you know it slowed you down. You had to think about things, and plus it was the whole learning process. It wasn't just you know shoot with a digital camera on auto. Uh, after priority or whatever you actually had to learn about it so when you're slowed down learning about it going through youtube videos and all the blogs and forums that there are out there i just learned so much and i found it fascinating um so that was kind of me and i then i also got into gas and i bought another camera uh, i think it was a spotmatic um that some of the shots in sydney friends are shot on um, and collected lenses, and I bought lots of lenses. Um, and then I got a thing for Soviet lenses, so I like, started collecting Soviet lenses and East German lenses. Um, and so, obviously, I built up a collection of Soviet cameras that came attached to those. Um, and 
Yeah, so at that time, yeah, after care, that's when I kind of got into uh, analog photography. And over this case of like three years or so, I did that. And then I started to develop my own film. Um, I did that for a long time, just then scanning it at home. And then I came across someone. Uh, oh, it was a, a, a function up here. saw that I had a Minolta camera hanging around my neck. And they went, oh, that's really cool. Uh, I've got a friend at the college in Inverness who is giving away all the darkroom stuff there because, you know, it's under the account, so they can't sell it. Uh, you could get in a larger and everything. I was like, oh, I'd love that. So uh, it was Matt Sillers uh, of Flow Photofest up here, um, who's also setting up the new Inverness darkroom. Um, so I got that for him. I built myself a darkroom in the in the back garden and um, then started learning how to print. Um, again, it was going back to, you know, you're teaching yourself from scratch. And I kind of, I like that, um, uh, learning the different methods. Um, and so that's kind of where I am now. And, and then obviously I've got the filmmaking side of things, which I can't afford to shoot. Hello? Hello. <laughs> Someone dropped out. I can't afford to shoot, um, you know, film, uh, um, well, filmmaking, but uh, how can I incorporate the my love of analog photography into filmmaking and that's kind of one of the uh reasons that this uh, stills appear in sydney and friends yeah because that's one of the notable things when you got in touch you said that yeah can you actually can probably refresh my memory of exactly how many stills are used throughout the film i think there's about 80 it might be less i might be kidding myself it might be 60 but i think probably between 60 and 80 stills and I think apart from two of them, they're all analog. Um, I think there's two digital in there, um, but no one, you know, no one's ever spotted. No one ever knows. No one's ever actually asked me about the, you know, when you present your film to audiences, no one really cares that if it's analog or digital or, no. or the processes that you went through or what lenses you use. No one's ever asked. And, and neither should they. If people are asking those questions, something has gone horribly wrong with the filmmaking. Um, so filmmakers notice, and filmmakers ask, "Oh, well, how did you get that effect on that on that shot? And um, did you have to put a filter on on this scene and stuff like that?" So that's uh, so people do notice, but generally you go through and you agonise about all these decisions. You know, it's so much easier just to shoot digital photos, especially when you're filming in Kenya, shooting in Kenya, but. Um, it's not really important given the subject matter of City and Friends. Those sort of things aren't really important. What's important is story and and the stories that uh, City and the Five Friends tell, and and the subjects and, and the feelings and emotions and 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 hopefully the hope that the film can give. Those are the important things, and not so much whether you know the photography is analog or digital or the lens is from you know, 1952 or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about Sydney and Friends, because this is quite, although in some ways it's, you can certainly see the relation um, to your short film care because of because of your um, training in social work and stuff like that. Um, Sydney and Friends is a very different film in terms of its content and also in the terms of the, the style of the film. Um, yes. it, it, talk to us about how you first met Sydney, how this came to be a thing that you wanted to do um, and, and about what the film is? Okay, so Sydney Friends is a feature-length documentary um, and it's about uh, Sydney. Sydney was born intersex in rural Western Kenya and as he grew up, he, he, he 
obviously felt different and more and more different from uh, his family and his community. And um, his family uh, identified him as female um, and and treated him as female. Uh, but Sidney didn't, and, and, and Sidney felt that uh, he was male. Uh, but these differences grew and grew, and, and his family thought that he'd brung a curse uh, on them. And, and the differences they grew into, you know, hate and castigation and chastisement to the point where his family tried to kill him. Um, so at that point, he managed to uh, escape the assassination attempt and he, he ran away to Nairobi, which is the capital of Kenya. Um, and he was kind of forced from slum to slum. Um, he was stripped in public. He was beaten. Um, and then came a point where he met a group of transgender uh, and they become friends, transgender friends, um, and they sheltered him. And, and at that point, uh, we, we discuss, or they discuss, what it's like to be uh, a minority that's, that's, um, that's discriminated against uh, in the developing world, in Kenya, in Africa, um, and what it's like to grow up as transgender or intersex um, uh, when you're actually living in fear of your life uh, day in, day out. Um, so they do that and, you know, it might sound a bit grim at first, but it's the film isn't. Uh, the film kind of hopefully um, kind of it's called Sydney and Friends and it, we, we talk about the friendship and what how friendship can help people get through things, but also love and camaraderie. There's a lot of humour in there. Um, you know, people laugh in the cinema. Um, and so it was always about showing a sense of hope that however bad the situation is, that if you stick together and uh, with friends and, and people that you love, that something good will always come out of it because kind of love trumps hate. So how is it that you came to be shooting the story of um, these intersex and transgender people in Nairobi? Um, how, how did that happen in the first place? Yeah, well, it was a bit of an accident. Um, my sister lives in Nairobi. So I was actually going out to visit her. I'd taken, uh, kind of, I think I'd taken two months out uh, and I was going to go there with a friend. Uh, and at the last minute, my friend pulled out and I thought, well, instead of kind of traveling around by myself around East Africa, I might just pack a bag uh, with a camera, uh, a tripod and a mic and see if I could find a little short film um, that, you know, was interesting, maybe showed a different side of things that people might expect. Nothing to do with the LGBTQ community. Um, I'd read somewhere about oh, a little boy from a slum who'd built a little hydro scheme out of parts he found in the dump that managed to power his classroom. And I thought, that's something like that. I'd love to make a little five, ten minute short documentary because I'd never made a documentary. I'd only made care before uh, and had training in drama. So as a tester. Uh, but as you've seen with care, I like to do things difficult. And I stumbled across Gullet. Uh, who is a trans activist uh, who appears in the film. And he said, look, Tristan, um, I've got people, members of our group that want to speak out. They've got nothing else left to lose. They're fed up uh, and they think that, that speaking out is the only way that maybe they can change their situations. Um, so we started, I, I met them and they like me and I like them. And after a few weeks, we started filming. And 
that's kind of how it, it all started happening. Um, obviously, filming there in Kenya uh, and filming a group that uh, faces a lot of discrimination. You know, there's a lot of taboo surrounding, um, uh, especially homosexuality, and that's where the you know there's a there's a complete misunderstanding, especially in in Kenya, where they group uh, people who are transgender or intersex in with being homosexual, which is a complete uh, it was completely wrong. And uh, so they fall under that umbrella of discrimination too. Um, so it was very difficult to film. There was nowhere to film. Um, you know, they're all estranged from their families. So we couldn't, you know, we couldn't shoot in public for obvious reasons. Uh, well, shooting guerrilla was legal. Um, so we shot some interviews in Sydney and Ben's home in the slum. You don't do that once because we draw attention to them. Uh, they were worried about uh, me. I was worried about them. Um, uh, I was worried about them, and I was worried about my uh, my Gollitz 100 millimeter 2.8 lens. That's all I was worried about, as well as my computer. I wasn't worried about my, my caddy camera or anything like that. It was like that, my 1952 lens. Um, and so we shot in the slum, and then we shot in Gullet's flats, which was next to the slum. And I just kind of made uh, each interview with each contributor look as different as I could, uh, even though we're all in the same front room with a refrigerator whirring in the background and kids shouting outside and it echoing around. Um, yeah, so that's kind of how it all started. And I never knew we'd get to this stage. So four years ago, I'd never, ever imagined that we would have got to the stage of, of finishing the film um, and it looking and feeling how it does um, and premiering it's at the BFI in London to three sold out screenings. So it's kind of amazing the journey that we've taken with the film, considering the film is zero budget. So there was no finance ever put into the film. It's all done on hard work and graph uh, by the people that bought into it uh, and wanted to see it finished. And some very talented people um, who were, came on board um, so that we could finish the film. How much um, familiarity did you have with the issues facing transgender and intersex people before you went out to Nairobi? Oh, well, none, because I hadn't researched it because I didn't know I was going to be making this film. Um, I've learned an awful lot. You know, I've got, you know, I'm from the LGBTQ community. Uh, I've got transgender friends. Um, so I know a bit around it, and uh, but... I've learned so much in the past four years and it's changed and I've changed and, um, and it kind of the way I view things has changed completely. Uh, I think we live in a world that is, you know, it's male, female. And well, if you don't fit into that, you're already, it's a battle because if, and, and if you fit somewhere between, or if you, uh, uh, a transgender feel that, you know, or you are male, but you know the rest of the world sees you as female, or vice versa. Then, then every day becomes something very, very difficult. Um, so I think we've got to change as a society, and I think we are. And you know, in the UK, I think we definitely are. Um, but in Kenya, where you know the, the the way of thinking, I don't know if it's blamed on traditions or religion, or you know British colonial laws that are there uh, that are still used um, that. It's it it can be a terrible situation, and um, and even just this weekend, the president of Kenya, Uhuru Kenyatta, came up and said on CNN that uh, LGBTQ rights don't matter, and that that's the president of the country saying that. One, you know, that you know, was at the leaders of the Commonwealth just 
last week and, you know, shaking hands with Theresa May and whatever, then, you know, there's a long, long way to go. Um, but hopefully that, you know, the sharing the stories and in the way that we've done does perhaps enlighten some people and make people think uh, in a more open, accepting, non-discriminatory way. Yeah, I mean, it feels like um, the with this issue. I mean, I I think it feels that a, a lot of people, you know, even in this country, um, transgender is still uh, an issue that a lot of people just don't know enough about or don't understand or you just haven't come into contact with and so i mean and i would include myself in that to a certain extent because i have a very small social well i can't call it a circle there's not enough people in it um mm-hmm. and line so yeah social line yeah there's me <laughs> right the end. um and so i i cannot begin to imagine what life must be like for people trying to live with this in a country which is openly brutally hostile um and it must be very hard for you because i would imagine that over the period of creating this film you must have built up quite a strong relationship with everybody involved in it yeah that's it's a really good point i did and um and that was kind of troublesome at first so obviously the film's taken a long time to complete you know it was a short time to film but a long time to complete it um just because we had no money. Um, and so if I'd finished the film a, a year after I got back, two years after we back, I think it would be a different film. It took time for me to kind of disentangle myself from um, the contributors out there. Um, and obviously I was editing the film as well myself, so you're incredibly close to it. And, give it, and that time allowed me kind of to stand back and see the wood from the trees. Um, and, and I think that really helped in the edit. And obviously I was kind of still in contact, but, you know, if happening, there's not a lot to talk about. And they're just, you know, oh, they want to see the film, they want to make it made, you know, it's been so long. And, and they, I don't think they quite understood how long and what an arduous process it is to make a feature film. It's it's the toughest thing I've ever done. And um, but that time, that breathing space has made a better film. And it was amazing. You know, Sydney uh, messaged me on Facebook, it was just about 18 months ago, and told me some news. And, and it, you know, and it was like, well, I've got to go out and, and, and film that and do another interview. Uh, so we managed to, to get some, some money together, not very much. And I went out there for a week and, and met Sydney once. The city lives in a slum. And we can't imagine, I can't imagine, even I know him well and, and know the most intimate details about him uh, and his circumstances. I can't, I can't begin to understand, you know, you say, oh, I understand. I, understand. I don't, I can't. Um, they live such a different life um, that you know we're we're complaining about me having a slight crackly Skype line, and you know Sydney has no access, or, or he does now because he's managed to find work, but he, he didn't then um, to any sort of internet um, or or any entertainment. He lives in a you know a eight by eight metal corrugated iron you know slum house, um, so it's difficult to contemplate the his life. Um, but yeah, so it's so nice that when they did watch the completed film uh, just before we screened it at the BFI, uh, so a month or so ago, and and um, getting to see their reactions and hear the reactions to it, uh, and that was kind of amazing. Yeah, that I, I would imagine that must have been incredibly rewarding at the end of this. So when you um, was the idea to put the still images 
into the movie was that something that you had at the beginning or is this something that as you came to the edit you thought actually this would really work well with this and you were obviously shooting constantly whilst you were doing this taking the still pictures I'm I'm really because I have the vaguest of idea of how a project comes together when it's just photographs um but how do you how do you put together the pre-visualizing when you're trying to create a film like this so the the idea of the stills, I, I travelled there with, um, what did I have, I had a, was it SP-1000, a Spotmatic, uh, with, uh, I think I had a, a Zenitar 50.17 lens, I had a Lomo LCA and a Minolta 7S, you know, like you travel with, you go to Kenya, so you'll just take loads of analogue cameras, it's kind of ridiculous, um, and there's something else, uh, but it all come to me, but those are kind of, uh, sort of the main, oh, most of them I shot on a Roly 35S, um, which I'd never really used. I think it came in the post like the morning I left. Um, it's very, very difficult to use. And so there's an awful lot of photographs that are negatives that are just nothing on them. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so, so it came to me. Um, so because the filming was so difficult, because we had nowhere to shoot, uh, and I was realizing that I was shooting a lot of interviews, but nothing else. Um, so I didn't have much B-roll footage uh, to kind of piece it all together because I couldn't really just go out into Nairobi with the, the camera and start shooting because uh, I would have it for about 10 minutes before it was stolen. Um, and and the places I wanted to shoot, you know, I kind of wanted to be inconspicuous and it was difficult in Nairobi. Um, you know, white people generally don't walk. You know, people are in the, the Mitsubishi Shoguns or whatever driving around and so I was like, well, how do you know a place if you don't walk from place to place? So I walked everywhere and took public transport and the tattoos and things. And I, and I, the Rolly 35 was great because you could just fit it in your hand, you know, and pop it in your pocket. No one could see it. It, you know, it didn't look of worth worth stealing. Um, and you could just, you know, you can hold it in your hand and no one sees it. And then you can you take some photographs. So I just spent time during the three months that I was there, wherever I go, I take photographs. Um, and kind of realized, I can't exactly remember, but when I got back, that the only way to piece this together, actually to show people what Nairobi's like, um, is to put those images into the film. Um, so obviously at the time, the images were all developed, they were black and white, uh, but the film was in colour. And I, I purposely kind of colour-coded uh, the acts of the film. So we start off with browns and oranges, the, the orange soil that you see in Africa, uh, in Kenya. And then we kind of move into act two with uh, the greens of the forests. And then uh, we go back to uh, greens and browns. And then we go into blues uh, of in the kind of the denouement at the end. And, but with these still images in, in, in the timeline and it jumped. And I, the, the, there's these kind of blackouts in the film uh, that are just blackouts, they're black screens that last uh, three minutes, four minutes. Some of them are maybe there's four, but one maybe lasts about one and a half minutes, it's shorter, um, where Sydney and his friends tell a particularly uh, intimate uh, and di disturbing story about themselves. Um, so when you're in the cinema, all you're watching is you're sitting in a dark room and all you see is subtitles. Uh, some of them speak English, but we still subtitled English. So all you see are the words on a black screen, and there's this soundscape that goes on around you in the cinema, 
And so you have to imagine yourself. I don't give you pictures. You have to imagine yourself what's... Uh, uh, so I think that gets you even closer uh, to if you're having to think of those images yourself rather than me giving you them. Um, so we've got these blackouts, the blackout images, everything jumped. And because there's a lot of talking in the film, so it's a lot of uh, uh, talking heads. So, uh, and the, we build up this relationship between you and the, the contributors, which I wanted to feel like a conversation uh, and a conversation that they're in control of and it would not end until they kind of let you go. And the colour just jumped every time you're coming in and out black and white to colour. And I, I kind of woke up one morning thinking, I'll just turn the whole film into black and white. So I did a little, little test. And I was like, this this works. This works so much better. I take all, most of my photography black and white. I see everything black and white. And and why didn't I ever think of this before? Um, so when we went into the grade, I said, I want it to kind of feel like slightly overexposed HP5. Uh, because we're turning it to black and white, I didn't want it to feel that, you know, when you crunch the blacks and it's that hard-hitting, gritty, kind of heavy-feeling uh, film or documentary. Um, I wanted it to be light. Um, and I always having, um, but there was a feeling I'd taken away there, the color and warmth from everything. Um, so, and, and, and uh, like a, a neutral black and white still feels quite cold. So we, in the grade, we just ever so slightly warmed it up to match how I told my still images. And I told my still images in, in Lightroom when I don't print them to how I print them in the darkroom, which is, uh, I use a form of tone nature. Uh, paper, I think it's na yeah, Nature. Uh, it's a former brown, former one of the former papers called Nature. With when you selenium tone it, it, it has a beautiful, beautiful, uh, subtle warm tone to it. Uh, so that's how we graded the film. Um, so it turned out, yeah, it's a, a, a black and white film with subtitles. So that is not the most commercially, commercially <laughs> exciting prospect. Tristan, I was just wondering, did you, um, had you already seen your stills, um, when you? Um, brought the films back if you like had you already developed your films whilst you were there well, or did you wait well, until you came back and then it was kind of like right well yeah. now I develop it and now I see what I've got it's really interesting um, so um, I was doing the black and white photography and I was building up an awful lot of films and obviously you know you're excited to see what you've got mm -hmm. um, uh, but I was also doing some expo stuff there as well um, so I was getting the expo stuff developed when I was there. And this is a bit of a sad story, to be honest with you. It's a, it's a tragic story. Um, so the only place that would do it, uh, you know, other places I went to, just, oh, no, no, why are you putting slide film through our colour thing? This will ruin it and wreck it and everything. The only place to do it was a really friendly guy in the Kodak shop in the Westgate Mall called Mr. Shah. He was so lovely. Um, and I don't know if the listeners will remember, but... Um, it was actually just shortly after I left, uh, a couple of weeks after I left, there was the terrible Westgate uh, massacre in the shopping mall when the mm -hmm. terrorists broke in and, yeah. and massacred 67 people. And they were in there for a good number of days holding people hostages. And Mr. Shah was actually the first person to be killed in the attack because um, his shop was at right by the entrance. Um, so it was. It's, I look at my, those photos now and it just kind of brings back terrible chills and it's a really kind of like sad part of my trip um, that that happened just shortly after I left um, the, the actually the art the art cafe uh, which was the cafe on the 
on the ground floor right by the entrance is where we used to uh, back up our rushes um, with being the secondary camera. And that was the place that got uh, hit with the hand grenades because uh, we used to sit out front. Uh, um, so, yeah, so I had those expo, uh, expo uh, things. And so I thought, well, uh, uh, that's really good. They wouldn't do black and white, but I find another processing uh, place that said, oh, we can do them. And I put a couple in and they were they came back absolutely shocking, terrible. Um, so I didn't trust anyone else to do them. Again, so I brought them all back and developed them when I got back home. So, uh, you know, what it's like when you've got so many rolls of film and I don't really like putting two rolls into my tank at once. I was like just doing one at a time. Um, I actually think I've also, I might have been stand developing them as well. So I was only doing them one at a time. Um, and yeah, it was amazing just seeing over the course, it took quite a long time to do it, doing one a day and waiting for your tank to dry out and real dry out before you do the next one. Uh, it was a, a good number of uh, at least two weeks um, before I started seeing the images. And I was at first really, really disappointed because uh, a lot of them didn't come out because I was using the really 35S and my Sunny 16 rule wasn't really particularly very good. Um, I didn't have a light meter, obviously. Uh, but there were some usable shots on that. But the other ones, the, the Scottmatic, there were some great shots. Uh, the, high, uh, the Minolta 7S uh, probably got the my most favorite shot with that one. Um, so it was like, well, I've got these images. I can let's see what I can do with it. And still, you don't see, you see an awful lot of documentaries with images put in, but usually, you know, they're, they're there to like show uh, rather than for kind of artistic purposes, uh, that they're really as exposition. In the half of the images in Sydney Friends are there kind of artistically. Uh, rather than as exposition. Well, it sounds like it was an incredible journey. This whole thing, um, the, <laughs> it is really hard to untangle. Kind of all the emotions that must be going through all of this from what you were just saying about the horrible massacre at the Westgate Centre and, and all of these other things. Um, where, what are you at with the film now? Am I right in saying that it has just released? Is it actually on international release yet, or is it just doing the rounds of the film no, festivals? So, no, so it's, it's just started the rounds of the International Film Festival. So it premiered at BFI Flair uh, last month, exactly a month ago today, on the 24th of March. Um, I had three screenings there. Um, and then those, uh, and then it's just it's playing in uh, uh, festivals in Poland at the moment. Uh, so it's about over the next ten, there's ten screenings over ten nights in ten different Polish cities um, happening at the moment. Uh, it's just screened in Germany at Transgender Film Festival, where it won Best Documentary. Awesome! And Congratulations. Then off to the States to Translations, which is the largest transgender film festival in the world. Um, and it's, I'm off to Barcelona tomorrow, uh, where it's screening in a social kind of justice film festival in Catalonia. Um, and I might have some good news about that, but I'm embargoed. It's, it's an embargo on it at the moment. Um, and uh, what else? There's lots of ones coming up, but I'm not allowed to announce them as yet. But, yeah, you are. Um, Nobody listens to this. <laughs> yeah. I'm sadly, close so, to the truth. There's India. Uh, we've got uh, a special screening that we're planning in Kenya. Uh, that you know, it's not a. It, it's it's a be especially invited people to. Uh, um, uh, Ethan, the East African Transgender Health and Advocacy Network, we've worked with very closely. 
they're organizing that. Um, if you want to find out about uh, issues surrounding transgender and gender minorities, then go to their website. They're great. They've got lots of information there, um, especially surrounding uh, East Africa. Um, and, oh, oh, there's one in, there's another one in Italy that, that I've just been told about. So it's, there's a whole host, because the festival season hasn't really started yet, so during the summer. So hopefully we'll be really busy during the summer taking it all across the world. How does it feel to have this thing that you have poured so much into, and, and which is an important thing? What the, the, what the stories that you're telling are important to so many people, not just the people who are part of the documentary, but to other people in that situation and to people all around the world. How does it feel to have that actually out there now? It's, it's a big, massive relief. It's such a big responsibility to... Uh, to tell these stories and to be given the trust to tell these stories. Um, so it was a relief that when everyone watched it back, the contributors watched it back, they liked it. Um, it was a relief when I showed it to uh, to an audience that's LGBTQ that, that, that they engaged with it. Uh, mm -hmm. It was a relief that when I showed it to an audience that didn't know anything about gender minority issues, that they, they engaged with it. You know, they learned and, and, and they learned new things and, and they um, felt an attachment to the film because, you know, we, the, the themes of the film are about uh, friendship and love. Um, so, but I, I wanted it to do as well as possible. So I wanted to, to, to get to as many places. And when you get rejections, and you get rejections for all manner of issues, uh, mostly scheduling and how many tickets they can sell. You know, I get downhearted, but every time I get downhearted, another email comes in saying, oh, we love the film, we'd like to show it, um, or you've won an award. And that's, that, that feels good. But the, the biggest thing is, is, is being able to be a vehicle for, for Sydney and, and the rest of them and, 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 and have their stories told. And uh, Sydney posted on one of our uh, Facebook things uh, the other day, other week, about he just can't believe how far this has come. Um, and if we can help, you know, change Sydney's life and just by, you know, telling a story and working with, with other organizations that so perhaps that he can he can get a passport and get an ID so he can he can go out and do his advocacy work and enlighten people about uh, being intersex and, and what's going on in Kenya around uh, intersex people, then yeah. I felt I feel like I've made a difference. One of the questions I was going to ask you, Tristan, is I suppose with a subject such as this, um, there's always a danger of the sort of sensationalism um, mm -hmm. aspect to it, and I wondered how you uh, approached it to ensure that that wasn't what was going to end up being the case in the end. Yeah, I, I have scrolled across my bedroom wall, hope and feelings, and I've got it on post-it notes, and I've it's there everywhere. So the film was always about hope and feelings. And it's difficult not to sensationalize things because you think, oh, what does a Western audience, I'm trying to sell it constantly, what does the Western audience want? They want it sensationalized. Um, but I'm so glad that all the feedback that's come back, the reviews that have come back, all mention and talk about and praise it for the way that stories are revealed and the way that you actually don't know who the director is you know you don't see any of my fingerprints anywhere um so it, it's kind of strange when i got back i 
I've made up a sizzler of the film. Um, a sizzler is like a, a trailer before a trailer. So when you kind of got no finance stuff, you make up a sizzler and you give it to uh, potential financiers or funders or whatever. And I did that and it got picked up by uh, the Commonwealth Games in Glasgow uh, as part of an exhibition for the LGBTI people of the Commonwealth exhibition. And then a national broadcaster must have seen it there and, and called me up saying, yes, we'd, we'd like this. We'd like to make it into a 23-minute for television broadcast documentary. Uh, we want the best two characters and we want the best bits. And I came off the phone call. You know, I was elated before the phone call. And when I came off, I was so, so deflated and, and angry um, that the, this, I spoke, I've been speaking to this producer executive and and they were just seeing tick boxes and their TV schedule. And wanted and, to pull it apart from what it was yeah. going to originally be. Is that what you mean? Yeah, yeah. Mm. And it was not what I told my contributors what it was going to be. And mm. I oomed an ad and decided no. And I, I, I let the option run out. And um, then after a year, it was like, oh, God, I've got no money. The film's not going anywhere. Why did I do that? It was the wrong decision. Um, and then, you know, by hook or by crook, we managed to finish the film. Uh, by, a, by a lot of hard work to how I envisioned it in the first place. Um, and I'm so glad that I kind of made that decision. It was the right decision, even though, you know, there was three years of hard work and, and setbacks and hell and everything. Um, but even though I was getting to very low points making the film, you just had to think about, well, what is the film and what is the subject matter? For, and, and the people that have entrusted me with their, their lives and hope I can't let them down and I've got to carry on. I've got to finish it. Um, so, you know, it was, and it's not just me who finished it. There's uh, the composer and executive producer, Paul Terry, who was there from the start, who's written the most amazing score for it, uh, which is available on all good music platforms to stream mm -hmm. or to buy. Um, just search Sydney Friends, Paul Terry. And, um, and then Artist Post-Production in Glasgow, uh, who were amazing, who finished it to such a high spec with the colour and grade and the, the dubbing mix and and some of the, the sound design. Um, and Tony Lewis, uh, Tony Lewis, um, I don't think you'll mind me mentioning that during the days, uh, he was working as music editor on Alien Covenant. <laughs> and at night, he was coming home and working for free on Sydney and Friends. Um, so, you know, we've got someone who's working on biggest Hollywood movies, The Martian, uh, MPSC for Mamma Mia, uh, The Constant Gardener, The Best Exotic Films, Skyfall, um, that he saw something in the film that he wanted to, to music edit it. So um, there was an incredible talent working on the film uh, and all through passion. They wanted to do it because they, they wanted to see it as the best it could be. And um, thinking about it now, um, Tristan, is aesthetically, obviously, we've talked about how you've uh, incorporated your analogue stills and what have you. Is there, any, is there anything aesthetically that you think you would change or um, approach differently? Um, it, was, it was a learning process. I, mean, I wish I'd filmed an awful lot more because I'm used to being a more, say I'm a filmmaker, I'm a filmmaker and uh, photography is a hobby and I, I like that I want to keep it as a hobby because it's my it's, it's how I relax mm. and um, I find that I want everything to look beautiful 
So as soon as when I'm filming video and something doesn't, if it's not looking beautiful, I won't film it. And if it, it as soon as it stops looking beautiful, I'll press for stop. <laughs> and so I'm missing an awful lot of stuff. So um, I wish I'd let the camera run a lot more. Um, um, what else would I change? It's difficult. I don't think I can. It would cause the circumstances are so difficult there. If if you made changes, it wouldn't be the film that it is. And people mm. like it because of what it is. And that it's because it's guerrilla. And because it's it's not polished. And it's not clean. And it's it, it's it, there's a intimacy, and intimacy that it hopes that it gives. Because you're close to everybody. Um, because the sound is so all-encompassing, you know, um, I couldn't, I went out there with a stereo mic, which is not what you do. You should have a directional mic for interviews. So I've got a stereo mic that picks up all the sound that's going on around. But when you sit in this, you know, I thought, oh, this is terrible. My sound is terrible. Um, we've got such bad, and there were some problems with the sound. You're sitting at a tin box, you know, <laughs> Sydney's home at midday and there's, the, the, the sun hits and it just cracks the metal and there's, you know, there's planes going over and there's cockerels growing and blah, blah, blah. But, and I thought this terrible for the sound. And, and when I got it into um, uh, John at the post-production house in Glasgow, who's the sound guy, I was so worried. And he phoned me up and he's this frog, Glaswegian. He's like a bear, such a lovable guy. He was like, oh, I'm so sorry about the sound. Oh, don't worry, it's fucking great. I love it. And it was like, it's like, oh, it's just this it comes, come from stuff coming from here and from there. And, it's, and it, he loved it. And, and we just had such fun over the time that we were in the dubbing suite you know, playing with the sound and adding bits and little details here and, and just, and it's when you sit in the cinema, you actually, you know, feel that you're there. So with documentaries, it should be that you take people to a place that they never imagined or could think that they could go to. And so hopefully because of the way it looks and feels and sounds that, you know, you sit in a cinema and you are transported to Sydney's little home in the slum or, uh, the forest where we had to shoot with the friends because we had nowhere else to shoot. Um, so I, I don't think I would change anything. I change well, all of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, Rachel and I, we, we've both watched the trailer, which um, people will be able to find at, at um, I'm sure in more than just this place, but certainly at um, tristanagenson.com. We'll have all the links yeah, in the show. Yeah, we'll that Without the end, yeah, don't worry, we'll make sure Without that because I'll definitely forget <laughs> that. Um, there's a line uh, in the in the writing you've got on the website for the show, because um, I cannot wait to watch the full film, even though I absolutely know without a shadow of a doubt that it is going to make me cry, because just just the trailer is like, oh, okay, this is going to be... This is going to be a journey, um, and these are real people, and this is uh, what they're going through is incredibly, incredibly um, emotional. Um, but you have a line that says you were making a soft and touching film, the sort of film you would want to give a hug to, and I would absolutely uh, recommend. And um, I can't think what the word I'm grasping for is. Uh, force is not the word, but something along those lines. Um, anyone listening to this? Encourage. Um, enc encourage. Yes, vigorously encourage everybody listening uh, to at the very least go and check out this trailer. Um, and where's the best place, Tristan, for people to go to find out where they might be able to see it if it's coming near them or what opportunities? So there's the website, sydneyandfriends.com. It's Sydney with an I, not a Y, like Australia. sydneyandfriends.com. Um, so we constantly update the screenings there. 
Uh, you can also follow on Twitter, uh, Sydney Kenya Film, on Instagram, Sydney Kenya Film, and on Facebook, Sydney Kenya Film. Brilliant stuff. We will take a break now. And when we come back from the break, we will do a complete vault fast uh, from this um, uh, heavy and emotionally charged stuff to talk about the uh, usual uh, far less important stuff that's been going on in the analog photography world. Uh, important to us, obviously, still very much so. And um, some of the other bits that you've been up to as well, Tristan, and what you've been up to, Rach. And we've even got some news, some breaking news this week as well. So it's all very exciting. Stick around, listeners, and we will be back shortly. We're back. Um, uh, where to go next? That's a very aid thing to say, isn't it? Speaking of aid, you might be wondering where he is this week. Uh, you might be assuming that he's just scarped in fear of getting a swift kicking for all those mean jibes he made at my expense last week. But no, he has had to go off to Canada again for uh, work this week. Um, so very sorely missed because I really wanted to give him a piece of my mind. Uh, I don't have much to spare, so it's probably just as well he's not here. He very kindly, before he went away, and I have to say a very big thank you to Aid. he has um, posted to me his digital camera, his Fuji X-T1. That's, that's what he's posted to me, isn't it, Rach? Um, yes. Because this weekend, well, two reasons. One, because I broke my digital camera and I needed to borrow his... <laughs> And the reason I need to borrow it is because this weekend I'm going up to Liverpool to help you out, aren't I, Rach? You are. You're going to be coming and helping me as a second shooter for a wedding. So this is going to be fun. It's going to be interesting and fun. (laughs) And I am bricking it. Um, So that's all good. We we will report back on that next week. (laughs) As long as Rachel's still talking to me, we will report back (laughs) on that next week. Um, I've got a few bits that I want to talk about very quickly before we move on to all the fun stuff you've been up to, Rach. The first thing is we have got a website on the way, listeners. Now, I realise that it has taken us nearly two years to get to this point, but we are nearly there. so watch this space. We will very soon have something coming up um, where we will hopefully be able to put things like all the Cheap Shots Challenge stuff and uh, links to all the shows and all the show notes and stuff like that. Um, and the reason I'm mentioning this is if there's anything that you would particularly like to see on a website, on our website, let me know. Give us some ideas. Um, it's We're still working on it at the moment. I am pulling in favours from all of our lovely friends like M and Anil and Hamish to help us get it to look um, not quite as half-arsed as it would do if it was just left down to me. Um, but if there's anything that you think, oh, it would be great if we could see that there, then please do. The other thing I wanted to mention this week um, is we got sent some stuff from our friend Martin Scarland. Now, Martin got in touch a short while ago go to say he had bought uh, some bits on eBay I cannot remember what it was he wanted from his purchase but he wanted something and so he got this lot of stuff and uh, the bits that were left were some glass plates and he said oh these might be of interest to Rachel and I said well yes they may well be of interest to Rachel and there's some mm. um, uh, film and some stuff like that so anyway Martin very kindly posted these up and uh, so obviously I had to have a look at them because you know it'd be rude not to and I was looking at the box of uh 
what was marked as being film, 4x5 film. And like, this feels very, very heavy for 4x5 film because it's supposed to be only like 10 shots in here. So I put it in a dark bag and opened the box up and felt and I went, oh, these are glass plates in here. I thought, well, that's strange. So anyway, I took one out in the dark bag and thought, well, you know, I'm going to see what's on this. And anyway, they actually had pictures on there. So these are um, glass plate pictures. It's really, it's really weird, actually, because... Um, I would imagine that going to the trouble of shooting four by five glass plates is not a small endeavor. You know, you're you're going out and making it's a more of a setup there. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, these very much feel like the snapshots somebody took in quite a half-assed way with a point and shoot for the most part. <laughs> <laughs> they, are, they are like, well, this one's kind of nothing because it's out of focus, and this one's. Um, but there's a couple. There's a bit. Oh, you'll be very pleased to hear. Uh, anybody who remembers back to episode number one, uh, where I um brought forth my hypothesis that every roll of found film will have a picture of a random grandma on it. This box of found found glass plates had not one, but two pictures of grandmas on there. Um, <laughs> and uh, one that was actually quite good. There was one quite good picture of a grandma on there. Uh, and there's a picture. So there was a couple of nice pictures, which I will try and get cleaned up and scanned at some point. To um, so that was very awesome. The other pack with the glass plates, I did take one out and look at it. Uh, it's still, a, 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 well, I'm going to assume unexposed glass plate. I mean, that one obviously was because I took it out into the light. So I will be bringing those up for you, Rach, to use in Ooh. whatever capacity you can. So I want to say thank you very much, Martin, for that. And um, yes. Oh, thank you. Yes. <laughs> in- interesting selection of random <laughs> bad pictures on the glass plates. So that was pretty good. Um, and yeah, beyond that, my photographic week has been fairly uninteresting. I am I have been taking some pictures lately. I have been uh, in my van at the moment. I think I actually have four cameras floating around i've got i've got my oh um, goodness yeah me. i think i've got my instax not my instax my um vivitar ultra wide and slim which i've just finished the roll in mm-hmm. i have got my fujika st605 uh which has got some i don't know what films in it i think it's probably black and white i know i put some film in there when we were at the photo show <laughs> and it's still in there so i'm still shooting through that i've got my um ondu uh pinhole camera which i have um hoping to use and haven't done but it's in the van ready and i've got the camera i've actually been using mostly lately which is my canon 30e which is a you know one of the last gen of um film cameras before it went full digital um and the reason i've been using that is because i've got an old 90 millimeter uh, macro lens that was for my digital camera and uh, my old old digital camera i thought well I'm never using this, obviously, because I never shoot digital. Um, and it's a lens for a crop sensor camera. I thought, well, I'm just going to stick it on because it's an EOS mount. I'm going to stick it on and just see how that goes. Because um, I can't really sell it because it doesn't focus past 10 feet, <laughs> which is something of a problem. But it's not too bad on, on the um, camera. So so I've been taking a few uh, pictures of flowers mostly. So go, going back to the old favourite. So um, so yeah, I've been trying to get, get out and get a few more shots because it feels like I've not taken... Oh, and uh, also I think my... Um, yeah, oh, there's five cameras in my car because also my Zeiss Super Iconta is also in my van. So I've got lots of cameras in my van and I am sometimes shooting <laughs> with some of them. Um, what have you been up to this week, Rach? Um, I've been up to quite a bit this week. I was just going to ask Tristan, actually, if he has a whole host of uh, cameras floating around in his car if, uh, or if he's a, you know, stick to one and, and that's that's it. Yes. Kind of, yeah? I, I, I kind of uh, have them on my my favourite ones at the time on my bedside table that I could look at. Oh, that's so cute! I love it. And then I kind of revolve them and put them into some boxes that I keep them in. 
uh, in the spare room. And then I'll think, oh, I've not seen that one for a while, so I'll put it on my bedside table. So at the <laughs> moment, I have oh, my Semplex TLR from the early 50s. It's mint condition. It's so beautiful. Mm. So I do quite a lot of shooting on that. I've got my SX70 land camera as well. That is a bit temperamental, so it needs to go away and get fixed. Um, if you can find oh, somewhere got... that's really good for fixing those, please let me know because I still have a shutter uh, problem with mine. <laughs> I think I think I'm going to send it to. Is there a place in Brooklyn? There's one in Brooklyn, I think yeah. one in Los Angeles. I think that's what I'm going to. They're yeah. the ones that look most reputable to me and look like they take care of everything. Uh, Mint also do it, but I think um, I think I'm going to send it to one of those guys in the states. Um, another one I've got is a 1951 uh, Kiev rangefinder, which is like uh, so it's con- so it's a, it, so it's all the contact parts, but it's branded as Kiev. That's <laughs> they're the ones I like. Oh, and obviously the one I shoot every day, which is a Minolta XD7 with a uh, Rock or a 35 1.8 lens. Yeah, mm, those are all on good. your bedside table. <laughs> uh, well, there's yeah, there's there's two on bedside table, and there's two on the um, next to the television. <laughs> and which one's on the pillow next to you? <laughs> Or do you have to alternate so they don't get jealous? No, it's like dogs. No dogs in the bed. Okay. No, um, no camera parts in the bed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, speaking of camera parts, my my um, um, hassy is still in pieces, I'm afraid. Um, I've not had time to get round to uh, to working on the back again uh, this week. So, unfortunately, it won't be ready to uh, go over the weekend. However, I have had booked into the calendar for ages um, Rachel's week off, in inverted commas, uh, which is supposed to be happening next week. Um, so, uh, as part of Rachel's week off, suddenly I seem to have managed to book myself into quite a few things. <laughs> Uh, but never mind hopefully they'll all be fun and lovely things um, which we will I'm sure talk about at some point as well um, but unfortunately as I say it's meant that um, due to due to work and uh, doing various other things this week the, um, I've not got around to finishing uh, my Hassie back so hopefully at some point I'll do that um, I've been running some smart materials workshops I was over in libraries on Saturday um, running some of those uh, so it was myself doing some sun prints obviously making some exposures um, and showing kids how, how that worked alongside a uh, a friend and co-facilitator Uma who was teaching people how to use 3D pens I don't know if you guys have come across these at all um yeah. lots of fun you you, um, you run basically some um uh, sort of like coils of um uh plastic through through the pens it heats it up a bit like a, a um a glue gun and uh, yeah. you can you can basically write but in 3d if you like and, and create things from from thin air really so as the plastic comes out the other end it's it's still warm um and then it cools down quite quickly and and becomes a solid again so uh, they're lots of fun so she was busy with that and i was busy um again chasing around the sun using the uh, the window sills and then the the um sort of like beams coming through the uh, through the windows of uh, of the library with tables sort of like dragging them around to make sure that uh, we could stay in the sunshine enough for the exposures to happen um and i also managed to finally scan my uh, my 35 mil shots from the enchanted garden shoot that i did um i had some issues with my scanner with um, with the color balancing and uh, for some reason um my model who has blonde hair on for one 
one shot or two shots, um, she definitely looks like she has red hair, <laughs> a completely different colour. Um, I've no idea why. Uh, it looks really nice, but uh, it's definitely not the colour that her hair should be. <laughs> um, so I'm using my Epson uh, V550 scanner that I usually use for my 35mm and 120 shots. Um, I've only so far scanned the 35mm um, uh, images, but uh, I have had my 120 uh, shots back. I um, I took those on my on my roller cord actually my roller cord three point five and um, AG uh, processed those so thank you very much Matt for those <laughs> uh, really appreciate that sent those off um, got the scans back uh, sorry got the negatives back but I haven't scanned those yet so uh, hopefully I'll uh, get around to that soon as well um, yesterday I was over at a primary school uh, delivering a day. Uh, days workshop um, on building pinhole viewers and all sorts of fun things alongside a children's author, illustrator, sound design artist, all sorts of things. And we went along in a VW camper van called Buttercup. She was very cute. Aww. So um, she'll be a, a friend for Rosie, my caravan. <laughs> uh, we decided that afterwards we'll have to go on a, a little uh, road trip uh, of storytelling road trip visually and uh, and in the written word, I suspect. So, yeah, so uh, I've been busy with that. Um, today I was over in the university for the last of my sessional lectures I've been delivering there and today it was actually a screening so it's really nice actually to speak to you today Tristan about your film because I've been watching um, films uh, all afternoon um, so seeing them right the way through from obviously the uh, the groups and when they first originally pitched their ideas and, uh -huh. and what they came up with uh, and then today it was uh, their final screening this is for sort of um, first year um, film studies uh, students so it's been really really good and lovely to see what they've what they've come up with so uh, yeah, yeah it's always so nice to yeah. see what what they what they do and what they come up with I mm -hmm. um, was working with young people as well uh, with the BFI Film Academy up here mm -hmm. in the Highlands and Islands um, and that was it was always um, that was always like the best uh, in a sense the best feeling was was the the stories and uh, and the way that uh, young people uh, can tell stories uh, they're so different and so I don't know so, so different from what you how you would tell it um, mm -hmm. and kind of refreshing uh, different points in your life you you see yeah. things in a different way don't you and, and you readdress yeah. and you reassess and and so sometimes it's also it can be quite nice to see it from from that perspective at, at age group um because yeah. they're not jaded by everything else <laughs> no, at that point so of, they're still full of and, enthusiasm yeah and this is this is surprises as well that the way that they approach things uh and the way and, and the way that the, the, the majority are so open-minded um mm. And, and aren't fearful of of the world, or uh, they're not as prejudiced and uh, as as our generation or the ones uh, before us, uh, which I loved. Uh, mm -hmm. They were so open-minded. We had everything from um, um, pop, uh, sort of puppets, four devils in a room that were stop-motion animation puppets, um, <laughs> which was uh, which was awesome. Um, right the way through to um, uh, there was one actually called Polaroid. Uh, funnily enough, mm -hmm. which was uh, which was about two people um, trapped in Polaroid photographs, um, and uh, there was um, there was also one um, uh, about um, 
uh, drag queen and and uh, how he and in his his under his female persona um, how he performed as a as a drag artist as well. So it, there was a real sort of varied uh, approach and uh, in terms yeah. of subject matter, but in terms of uh, aesthetically how they approached it as well. So uh, it was really good to see. Um, at the moment, there's one of the films that it was talk about films. The film that everybody in our little world has been talking about quite a lot recently is um, Kodachrome, um, the new film that's just come out. Yeah. Um, I don't. I, I know it's out on Netflix. I don't know if it's available in this country or not yet. But um, yeah, it's on Netflix at the moment. Have you Have either of you guys seen it yet? It's on my playlist. It's I haven't playlist. quite watched it yet. It's yeah. on my playlist too. I've I mean, not watched it yet either, I'm afraid. I, so I'm going. <laughs> I, I, we're listening to um, the Ever Podcasting, Mike Gutterman and uh, Andre um, today, uh, and they were talking about the fact that they both just watched it, um, and uh, Andre was saying that it had moved him to tears, although, <laughs> to be honest, by the sounds of it, there's not much that doesn't move Andre to tears, so that might not be the best benchmark, but it, it sounds like it's probably a good film worth watching. Um, I think if Andre says to watch it, we should watch it, definitely. Yeah, I, mean, <laughs> I think Andre might have seen the logo on a, a carrier bag and been moved to tears by it, though, so, you know. Um, but it, one of the things that he was talking about, uh, which was um, <laughs> very emotionally moving for him, was uh, the fact that... Um, at the end of the film, like right at the beginning of the credits, was the fact that you know a big still came up saying um, filmed on Kodak film, um, and um, it, it just made me have. I, I realize it goes completely against the whole um, low budget side of making films, but is is that something you aspire to or would like to do? Would you like to shoot a film actually on film or uh, is the flexibility um, and the convenience of shooting digital just too much of a draw at the moment? Uh, yes. And I think about documentary, people were shooting on film in the past and the documentaries were amazing and they were able to do it. So why can't you do it now? Obviously it's the cost thing, but I kind of, what I've done is I've actually just bought myself and they're winging their way in the post uh, at the moment two Super 8 cameras. Oh, so, awesome. Yeah, so that's kind of my next thing of like, well, incorporating Super 8 footage and how that into into a film. But also, I think also like a VHS camera, like a camcorder. Mm-hmm. I'm playing around with all the, text, all the textures um, of that. So that's kind of, I, I, I kind of, that's kind of building in my mind at the moment of how you could do that with with Super 8 and VHS and more other other means of recording video. Ah, you see, if, you, if you're filming with your VHS, you should um, you should edit uh, linear as well. Have you ever had a go oh, at that, Tristan? No, I don't, I don't <laughs> want to edit. It's so fun. much fun. <laughs> when I say fun, I mean not fun at all. But um, but it is again, it's it's pretty. It's a pretty good way to learn. It does help you um, to make sure that you're using log sheets and that you actually know what it is that you've shot, mm-hmm. because uh, and that you you literally know everything that you're going to be editing before you edit it, so you're not wasting time in the edit suite because you can literally you you've already watched through, you've logged everything, you know exactly yeah. how every single shot's going to be. So, in in some ways, it can really save you a lot of time. Although you're spending more time maybe watching through your footage, you would know you know it a lot better. Mm-hmm. Um, it was uh, that was how I learned to, oh, to really? edit. 
yeah yeah to edit video um yeah definitely uh it was vhs to vhs it was preview the heck out of that <laughs> before you press uh-huh. the uh, the actual record button uh because if you mess up you've got to re-edit a whole half hour mm-hmm. program you know so uh, it definitely taught taught me um a lot of those uh sort of basics of of uh, film editing in a linear sense and 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 some of those uh, principles have definitely stayed with me so it's a, it's an interesting exercise if the uh, the decks are still around if you can find some of those as well to go with your vhs mm-hmm. <laughs> um filming then uh, then yeah you should you should grab them up i think definitely well that sounds pretty cool i i, I think experimenting with mixed media like that yeah it's <laughs> I, I look forward to seeing somebody else doing it because it's one of those things i bought from a car boot sale i don't know last year or sometime a super 8 camera and um i've, <laughs> I've looked into like i i am almost certainly n- never going to use this because super 8 I, is you know it's was it three minutes um three minutes and then if you're doing it as a 24 frames per second so you don't so your editor won't add in the extra frames from the 18 frames per second then you'll have even less imagine i'm imagine you'll be shooting what two and a half minutes mm-hmm. it's expensive yeah mm-hmm. that's lot, the a, thing. The company is a, is a, with the scan that they put through it ends up being about 75 quid for your two and a half minutes Mm. Yeah. Have we one. heard any more about the um the one that they were going to be releasing as sort of like with the the pa- as the package the new Super Eight? The shall we say? No. Mm-hmm. We, we, Kodak one. Yeah. Mm. I think the last thing we heard was that it had got a bit more expensive. <laughs> I think that was the last yes. bit, which is fair enough. You know, if they're actually making a serious tool for people like Tristan and and others to use, then I I I'd probably I'm sure you'd feel this way, Tristan. I'd rather they made a good one than a cheap one that's not going to do the job when you need it to. So yeah, well, there's, there's the digital Bolex. Um, I don't know. That's a few years old now. But uh, do you know anything about that? No, just laughing. He was just laughing at the name. Just looking at the digital <laughs> Bolex in your your accent's pretty great. Sorry, carry on, Tristan. But it, the, the, the footage what I've seen looks quite quite good on that. But um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think a lot of it gimmicks i quite like just to play around with so i know that it's actual you know it's not a, a remake of a digital remake of a film so actually using real super a and you know i know it's real and yeah i'm not shooting a whole movie on it it's just there for for some b-roll for um for different textures different feel you know the next film might it might not fit in aesthetically but mm. um it's something i'm excited about receiving the the super and having a playing around knowing that it, you know I know it'll just go back in the cupboard because, like my Polaroid camera, you know, every snap is a pound. That it's like, oh, use it once. It's like, oh well, that was fun. Yeah. Well, um, you, you, I'll just, I'll just go back. You like experimenting with different stuff because one thing we didn't talk about uh, before the break is um, the uh, Mind exhibition that you uh, recently took part in, or there was recently an exhibition of your work rather, um, because uh-huh. that's uh, that was using. Um, uh, toy and um, vintage cameras um, to create to capture your environment in, in a really uh, a different way from the way that where people are used to seeing pictures of you know the beautiful scenery of the Highlands. Um, can mm-hmm. you tell us a bit about that? What you were doing out there? Yeah, so really it was, and I didn't start off ever thinking it was going to be an exhibition. It was more of a catharsis for me of while I was making City and Friends, and I shoot predominantly on black and white and. And uh, that's the stuff that I'll share on social media. Um, and these were images that I'd never shared and have the confidence to share. They were really personal to me. Um, and it was experimenting. So it was, it was trying to 
show my home, which is the Highlands and Islands, in a way that you wouldn't expect. And, it's, and I think when you live somewhere, uh, you obviously people think of the Highlands, they think of locks and mountains and romantic scenery and mist haggis. And, and, and haggis and, you know, that tartan and shortbread and all that crap. Um, <laughs> but if you live somewhere, it's not how you see it. And you don't see the postcards uh, that other people see. And you get sick and fed up of seeing your home represented on Instagram as the same shots. So for that sky or other North Coast 500 shots, it's like, it's just, it's people going to the same place and taking the same photographs. And, and so it was, it really, it was just, and me going, making Sydney friends, I can went to some very dark places and, and some lonely places when, you know, I live in a very remote area and not close to other filmmakers and, and going through a process where it was difficult to make the film. And so it was a release for me to go out into the, the forests and the mountains with these cameras. So it was, it was a couple of Holgas, a Lubatel TLR, uh, an old, uh, 1950s Bencini Roll S, little Italian medium format camera that's, you know, it's one fiftieth of a second, it's probably about yeah, one twenty-fifth yeah. of a second. Yeah, I've got the Coral Bencini, um, I've got a couple of those. Yeah, they're really beautiful little things but mm. to look at, but and, and actually render uh, the image very beautifully and actually quite differently from how a Holger uh, renders an image, even though basically with the same function, it's, you know, there's nothing to control apart from, well, nothing. Um, no, you can't control anything on it and that was the fun thing was when you're shooting with um expired film and so i was shooting mainly with um orwell slide film from east germany it was very old stuff um so you're working out how to expose that how to develop it obviously because developing film from the eastern Bloc, uh they had a d different developing method than we had in the west so the temperatures were very much lower so I actually sent the first couple of rolls off to uh, AG photographic and they came back with nothing on them whatsoever um, and I kind of like oh why is this and it's because uh, we process them at a much higher temperature uh, uh, our C41 and E6 then than uh, they did in the Soviet Union uh, much so the emulsion was literally just melting off um, so I then thought well I'll try and um, I'll develop try developing them myself so I got a kit from Nick and Tricks down in Brighton mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I got I just I can't remember what the brand was, um, and then thought, well, I, I came across that you can stand develop your neg uh, and cross your, your negative film and cross process E six E six stand developing. Um, so that's what I started doing, and I, the results came back, and it was like, oh, this is producing some really really interesting stuff. So it's that play with the serendipity of of you've got really probably quite badly degraded old film stock plus you're using uh crap cameras and your um the developing method isn't how it should have been uh so it's that it's a whole point so there's a lot of failure but also when you images came back it was like oh wow and over time you learn how to do things um so and you know so the only way to control them especially with the holgers and the bencini with lubatel is a little bit extra leeway because you can change aperture and shutter speed but the uh, the whole gives an eventually you couldn't control anything apart from how many times you exposed the film so working out you know how old it was if it was 30 40 years old the film um and working out so some of the shots their exposures maybe 20 there's maybe 20 or 25 exposures on one 
shot and working out how to do that to create something that um, is how you'd expect it. So the first shot uh, in in this exhibition, mine, was one of the last ones I took, and it, and I'd learned so much that I knew exactly what I wanted and how to achieve it, um, and that's how it came out, uh, which was quite pleasing. So I've done it, I've learned it, I don't need to do it again. <laughs> um, so mine was part of uh, Faux Flotofest wall. So Flow, uh, Photo Flow is Flow Photo Fest is a uh, uh, photography exhibition set up. It started last year uh, in Inverness and across the whole of an island's islands by Matt Sellers and uh, Rachel Fermi and Roddy McKenzie and Paul Campbell. I won't leave anyone out. Um, it's an amazing thing. So they invite photographers from, so it predominantly um, um, focuses on Scotland and the Nordic countries, the Faroe Islands, Iceland, Norway, Sweden, uh, Scotland, and and the work photographers from there. So it's got a real international outlook. And so photographers from there will come over and uh, their work is showcased across venues across the whole of Palestine Islands. And they'll also give masterclasses and workshops. Uh, so it's a really amazing event. So it's it's worth you know traveling up to from wherever you are. It's biannual. It always confuses me biannual if it's that twice a year or once every two years. So it's once every two years. We've just had one uh, this summer, but um, um, there are some events during the summer. So this was part of an ongoing exhibition uh, that uh, uh, a Highland photographer or someone from one of the uh, countries I mentioned before will have the wall for a month to 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 um, showcase their work uh, an exhibition that's very cool and we'll have the links for all of that in the show notes so people can go and check that out um yeah i had a quick click through um some of the stuff that didn't have enough time to have a proper look unfortunately but um it does look like they have a really good mixture of stuff going on up there and it's well worth a look and also um the pictures you've been talking about tristan were uh, really interesting rachel and i when i was last up in liverpool um we were both shooting with uh brownie brownie one two sevens and um yeah doing exactly the thing you were talking about of like well just keep clicking that shutter um <laughs> and it's amazing when we were inside the cathedral uh even though i clicked that shutter it's like 10 11 times still i know that was nowhere near enough so um, yes it's, it's in, worrying how many times that you feel you have to click the shutter but you learn of the aesthetic that you're going to get with 15 20 exposures and and i kind of like quite like that now i like i don't really want to go back and use like um a regular medium format camera because it just seems so plain yeah no i completely uh completely get that and i and i i really like the pictures uh, anybody who's ever seen any of my stuff the the project that I did last year wouldn't be unsurprised that this stuff appeals to me because like oh yeah this is this is interesting and there's no detail in any of it and it's all like what the heck is this and that's very much up my street i really like it very sort of um, abstract but you can still get a feel for what's there and i think it it uh it captures something of the feel of where you are despite being very hard to pick out kind of what's going on um it's great we will take another quick break and when we come back we've got a quick bit of breaking news as promised and then some few listener emails as well so bear with us and we'll be right back
And we're back for one last news blitz and some emails. Um, Rach, I hope you don't mind, but I haven't done this for ages. Can't do the breaking news theme. <laughs> you may do the breaking news theme. Thanks. It's breaking news. Uh, yeah, this is really proper, proper breaking news because we saw this just before we came on tonight, Rach. We did. Yep. I had an email and I saw a couple of um, people posted about it as well. So, uh, yeah. So go on, Rach. Tell us what the news is. Okay, so exciting stuff from Mint, uh, the chaps who make Mint uh, cameras. <laughs> the and... chaps who make Mint. <laughs> what? Okay, yeah, carry All right, on. you do it. No, you do it. You no, do no, it. No, 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 sorry. No, I'm offended now. No, I'm upset no, now. No, no, no. Okay, the chaps who make Mint. Carry on. <laughs> um, so the Mint cameras, um, we have the uh, the TL70, and they uh, recently uh, had announced, obviously, the RF70 uh, as well. Now, uh, for this particular email, they've been talking about the TL70 and um, talking about the fact that, obviously, as we know, the Roliflex uh, factory in Germany closed down in April 2015 and obviously we we're all very sad about that um, what Mint is saying is that uh, last year to their amazement they said that they became interested in their camera the Mint camera the TL70 and that it marked the beginning of a very special relationship so um, assisted by some of the experienced technicians there They've said that they're going to be able to upgrade their TL70 into something slightly better with a final touch by Rolleiflex, um, and that this time they're going to be calling it the Rolleiflex Instant Camera, camera with a K. Um, so it just says, "See you on Kickstarter, 26th of April, 2018." Cool. So that will be uh, that'll be the Thursday when this comes out, won't it? That's right. It will. So exciting stuff from them. Um, I have no more information on that at all. Uh, just simply that they'd sent an email uh, as like a little um, teaser and there've been a few little posts on Twitter and Instagram, etc. So uh, yeah, who knows? Any thoughts on what it might be, Graham? Um, well, I mean, I, I, they do describe it in the email as a something slightly better. So um, I don't know. It, I, I, maybe there's been some tweaks to the lens design. That would be interesting. Um, I suppose that's, I think, probably the thing I'm most hoping that would be on there. Um, maybe it's just some design changes to make it look you know, because the, the um, current TL70, it's very much TL, a TLR, but, um, you know, it, it doesn't have that real classic rolly look. So that could be quite nice. I mean, it's um, we'll, we'll find out. Not long to wait now. It's amazing well, to me how busy uh, the, the guys, I don't know how many of them are at Mint cameras. Um, cause, you know, there's, it's it, quite a small team. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Because as you said, Rex, they're working on the um, RF. Uh, what's What's the full name of that? RF seventy, the RF seventy, and also that will be shooting the Instax wide, yeah. um, whereas the TL seventy shoots the Instax mini. So that's the one that they currently have out. Um, the RF seventy is is going to be coming out um, at some point, and uh, that would be to shoot the Instax wide with it's more like a bellows camera pop out front. That yeah, one. and also they are doing some sort of um, super refurb jobs on uh, some SX seventies, aren't they, for um, Polaroid original as well. I, I believe what, so, yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. so you can um, buy a kind of souped-up SX-70 with um, added features on that, that they are involved in. So they're, they're busy guys at the moment. Um, so, yeah, very cool, very cool. Well, we will watch with interest. It still looks like they are kind of, if you've got the money and, uh, and you want the ultimate in instant photography, they are definitely the place to go to. Um, yeah. But, yeah, they aren't cheap, especially that Polaroid Super SX-70. That's, that's yeah. very not cheap. Yeah. But, you know, they, they say it's aimed at the pro. So, uh, 
that's good. I, I was very excited about the RF-70 coming out. Well, both the, the TL-70 and the RF-70, because, uh, yeah, they, they seem like uh, a good uh, middle point for being for having that styling and that look of the obviously as we love you know the classic the classic camera rather than necessarily the sort of plastic square box kind of uh, look so uh, aesthetically they look great um, and I was very excited about those but um, but the price points may be a little bit high for me <laughs> just a tad, tiny bit just a tad just a tad okay well that's the news let's move on to emails so the first one is from past guest of the show Simon Forster who uh is diligently still ploughing his way through the old podcast. Um, he writes and say, uh, "Hi Graham uh, and, and nobody else." I think he's assuming me to read this, but uh, he knows <laughs> I'm the one that reads all the emails. Um, looks like I listened to a couple of podcasts too few. I heard to of AIDS suffering with several first world problems, with, which included not enjoying using manual lenses on his Fuji. Um, he's always moaning about something. Um, as you might imagine, this piqued my interest and if I'm not already 12 months out of date with the following vice, hopefully it may be of some use. AID had two issues with adapted lenses. The first being that he felt the focusing experience to be less than satisfactory and secondly that using magnification, magnification, magnification got in the way of his shooting process addressing the second point first as he may already do this magnification oh my god <laughs> you're really quite tired now aren't you it's gone 11 o'clock yeah. Graham, so uh, uh... <laughs> I'm, I'm just gonna stick with magnification that's a word now magnification <laughs> can be set up with a function button or there may even be a second direct button on his camera if aid is going into a menu to select magnification then he needs to reconfigure <laughs> his camera Secondly, the first issue of using Fuji's EVF, that electronic viewfinder, the default brightness setting of Fuji cameras is too low for many people, especially when using adapted lenses. If Aid has not done so already, I strongly suggest he turns the brightness up to 11 as it can make a huge difference. Uh, and then there's some waffle like about. That's like turning the, uh, the uh, amp up to 11, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, Moving on, I mentioned to you that you gave Bronica some faint praise which killed my interest in it. However, there was some context missing in my remark that fell by the wayside, as things do in podcasts, and that you were comparing Bronica lenses to Hasselblad lenses, and you said that the Bronica lenses were good, but the Hasselblad lenses were a definite step up. Step up? <laughs> oh my god. Being a lens guy, you can understand how much of an impact that would have on me. Thanks again for having me on. Kind regards, Simon. Well, thank you for getting on in touch, Simon, to um, help aid with his problems, even though I've now pinched his camera, so it's of no help at all. Um, Is that something that you've come across, Tristan? Because obviously, you, you, you know, you were talking about how much you love your vintage lenses and uh, uh, using them on your digital camera. So obviously, Simon um, runs the Classic Lens um, podcast. Yes, and he yeah. said that by that the triathlon uh michael let's try 100 2.8 was crap and i disagree oh uh, it's interesting the, it's, controversial <laughs> it, it's because it's yeah it's soft and it's like you talked about the bubble bulker so that's a, that's a gimmick you know that's why it's so expensive the mm. lens um and you do get that bubble but you can only use that once or twice although there are instagram accounts that are very popular the people that do, all they do is take pictures of that bubble bulker um but it's a gimmick mm -hmm. and a lot of um so it's used on two of my interviews in sydney and friends and and not wide open uh slightly closed down and mm -hmm. the way it renders the image is stunning it's so beautiful it's soft uh, and when you're doing a close-up uh interview 
Uh, it's not harsh on the face. Um, and the way it renders the out of focus area in the background is stunning with Sydney in the forest. And he's also wearing a, a white uh, Real Madrid top. And the way that the, 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 the it's kind of got like a, a halo effect almost as a glare that comes off it that you wouldn't get with a standard lens. It's just beautiful. So I think it's horses for courses and what someone likes or what someone doesn't. Uh, but that's my favourite lens. I love it. Lovely. Well, that's um, why we enjoy having these conversations, isn't it? Because everybody sees things differently. Everybody shoots things differently. And the the lens that works, you know, obviously, or doesn't work for one person might be vice versa for somebody else. So it's nice yeah, to know but, that you've you've got a, a real experience with having used that and that it's worked for you. That's great. Yeah. But his his website is the most amazing resource. Mm. Um, I think on, on, on our follow on Instagram as well. And the, the things that I've learned from that are, yeah, it's incredible. As, uh, as in all the guys, all your friends that you have on here, um, 35 MNC, Emulsif, uh, Japan Camera Hunter, they're, they're just, they're the ones I go back to again and again, just, and obviously Sunny 60. Um, the, the work that you guys and, and, and those put into uh, what they're doing for everyone else is just incredible. So I'm really thankful for it because I've learned an awful lot from, from those guys and everyone else who contributes to it because it's a really lovely community uh the way that everyone um gets along and is uh constructive and everything that they say it's a really positive atmosphere and vibe and that's what i love because there's some really dark places on the internet especially around photography and mm -hmm. analog photography so it's so nice to to find places where you kind of fit in and mm -hmm. and feel that you can you know chat openly about things and mm -hmm. um yeah, yeah so and, thanks guys uh, oh you're very welcome um and i like the fact that we get sent things like um uh glass plates of uh old grandmas and yeah. you know all sorts of things it's the best, <laughs> it's the best. yeah um and, and funny gummy bears and all sorts of things uh, that appear <laughs> that you tell that you tell us appear graham oh um, great <laughs> but thank you very much Trisha. it's lovely to lovely of you to say really appreciate yeah. that yeah no thank you I, I very much view it as our sort of role in this community is to get awesome people and put them in front of other people so they can hear from them much like your good self Tristan. um Rach, do you want to read the next email from paul friday mm, sure so um paul says Did Sunbeams. I was listening to that excellent fellow, Anil Mystery, talking about his cool business cards. I now have one as I bought a copy of his book, which is highly recommended. So he used the letterbox um, format mini cards from Moot. These are brilliant. Um, I had originally set, uh, I did originally have a set as well myself. Um, I love those little those little cards, those little slips. Um, Paul goes on to say, I made a set by uploading pictures to them, which brings me to my point. We provide a Photoshop template to crop your pictures to the right format. It can be difficult to find a 2.5 uh, to 1 ratio crop within a picture. When you do, it makes you wonder what you wasted the rest of the frame on. <laughs> so to crop or not to crop. Some quite famous photographers insisted on printed the, printing the entire frame. Some printed the frame edges to show there was no crop. And some equally famous photographers cropped at will. What do you and the listeners do? It's cropping a way of learning more from your work uh, or a way of rescuing a bad job. I am a cropper. And that's cheers from Paul in brackets. Nose grease Friday. <laughs> mm. Well, what about Interesting you? question. Yeah, it uh, is. Right. So um, in terms of cropping, I, I found um, once Aid and I started talking that we have a similar love for a... Um, 
uh, what would cinematic. the ratio be? Yeah, no. Yes, yes, I'd say the cinematic crop. Um, I do really love that. Um, and I, I've kind of, when I, when I was first originally doing my A level um, and printing up, it was, it was quite often it was ten by eights, you know, that would be your final print size. Um, but I, I never really lo- fell in love with those. Um, for me, it was, it was usually that. They were they would have quite quite a big crop on them. I I do partic- I do like the thirty five mil uh, format, um, but uh, yeah, I think it was quite along the lines of the cinematic. I don't ever feel the need to definitely have to show the whole frame. Um, for me, it doesn't matter if it if it makes a picture stronger to crop. Then I'd say I'd go for it. You know, that's what it if it works for me. You know, um, it's not about trying to prove anything really. And I think. Um, it's just about whether the shot works for you. And if if it doesn't work, um, are you simply just leaving the frame in there to show that that was how how it was taken originally? And what is that about? I don't know. It's mm. um, It doesn't really bother me. Um, if it makes it a better image, I think, crop away. That's how I see it. What about yourself, Graham? Um, I, I will certainly crop as needed. Um, uh, I, I find I sometimes run into problems because I... I do ah, you cropped Sinead's sh- too much, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, I did. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I guess. Thanks for bringing that back up. Um, <laughs> but no, I, with my own photography, a problem I run into more often is that I tend to fill the f- frame quite a lot, um, and which is you know, great on the one hand, except then if you need to use it in a different format. So say, for example, I need to print something to take to my camera club or something, and so it's like, okay, this needs to be in 7x5 or something like this. I'm like, oh no, I've left myself literally no wiggle room in the frame <laughs> to cut mm-hmm. this down anywhere. Um, but no, if, if I if I need to crop something, if there's something extra extraneous in the outer regions, um, or if I just want to emphasize something, um, then I would I would generally just I don't do a I'm I don't tend to do a lot of as you say, Rach, with yours um, cropping to get a particular style. It's more just on a very much an individual picture by picture one, but I you know, I tend to like so with the. Um, photos from my project last year the myopic me stuff that was all um sort of six by four or whatever that ratio is Mm -hmm. 12 by 12 12 by eight whatever you want to call it um some of those i did crop down a little bit um but they were all in the same ratio because i like to keep things fairly standard within the thing so um yeah as you said i i mean i've got a book i, I can't remember what book it is but the, the guy in there makes a point saying you know i like to get everything right in camera and so i will mm-hmm. always include the edges of my frame so people can see and i mean that's great and it's kind of a a bragging rights thing i guess to a certain extent mm-hmm. but um the, the more important thing for me with my pictures is that when i present them to other people i'm presenting them in what i feel is the their best form and if that means i need to crop them down then i will gladly do that rather than <laughs> present people with something which looks bad and but yeah it's, it's difficult with cropping as you said though you know sometimes you do too much and yeah i, I never do it with digital to be fair like i don't feel I'm just thinking more from like um, a video perspective, like from a filming perspective. Um, it j- you can end up losing so much uh, quality, and it ended up being, you know, with that digital zoom effect and and the very uh. specific look of that. I just, I, oh god, I just hate that. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot deal with that. I'd much rather see 
to see more in frame and it, it feel like nicer quality image rather than feeling like it's got very that very specific digital zoom on something yeah. um whereas obviously with film and with analog um it, it works in a different way i think you've got a bit more flexibility and freedom yeah. there to do that yeah tristan how about you uh i tend not to crop where i and i i try to do everything in camera mostly um sometimes i might you know just the edge of the frame but mm. i try not to uh but i did learn something you talk about video and uh, and the, and zooming in on on video i learned with the the grader when we were finishing off my film there was a couple of of shots that weren't mine they were set the secondary camera um that weren't quite straight or they tilted mm -hmm. it or and he, you can zoom in up to about uh so it's 100 about 90 percent yeah without ever ever noticing it and we're yeah. playing this in the cinema and, and you can't ever notice that it's in but beyond that this is it uh 1920 by 1080 uh beyond that then yeah it starts to to pixelate yeah yeah you definitely you just see it like you say there's there's a certain amount but it's quite a small amount isn't it you if you know yeah. a bit of straightening up and what have you just to meet in those but, yeah. but then, yeah. then you see I, don't, I think it's lazy filmmaking now with 4k and with the interviewing you know obviously the, 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 you, you should do an interview sit interview with two cameras mm -hmm. uh but a lot of the interviews now you see on netflix or whatever you know the high budget inter high budget uh documentaries where they shoot with just one camera 4k camera and, and change the punch, framing yeah punch in and it's like oh there we go again oh there we go again and they just punch in and it's yeah. like just laziness yeah definitely. and you see it yeah it's like it takes me away from from it this constant need to change you know if you frame that right the first time mm -hmm. why do you need to punch in yeah, it's well, like it's also to do with there not being enough crew as well, isn't it? Because, you know, that would potentially give you another person who's got to be behind the camera, you know, as well. And I think it's it's such a shame because, like you say, if, they're, if they've got the budget to do it, then do it. <laughs> then have yeah. have the two people there, have two camera ops. Or, just, yeah. just set up another camera on a tripod and exactly. press play and just yeah. let it run. Yeah, yeah. There we go. Anyway, next email uh, is from Paul Joyce. Paul writes in, Hi, everyone. I've been Hello. <laughs> <laughs> I've been seeing tweets reference the Cheap Shots Challenge, hashtag Cheap Shots Challenge, but I can't find any information about the rules or details of how to take part. Is there a link somewhere so I can find out more info? Thanks in advance. Paul from follyview.com. Um, well, kind of, no, not at the moment, Paul, but this is one of the things that we are definitely going to address with the website. Um, but uh, the one of the reasons we ended up setting up the website, isn't it? <laughs> actually, it very much is one of the reasons we're like, oh, we need to deal with this now. Um, so um, yes, very soon, uh, hopefully, well, by the end of this month, the the website certainly by show one hundred. Let's say by show one hundred, which is not very far away, um, the website will be live and it will have all the information on there. Um, because yes, with the cheap shot challenge, we we might do it. Well, we're going to do it much the same as last time. So basically, get your pictures taken with your cheap shots camera. Um, and email in your two favourite ones to us. Uh, we will we'll go through it more when we've got a bit more time. Um, but what we might do slightly differently this time is um, if we because I think we were kind of at at the upper limit of how many pictures we could talk about on the show last time without it becoming overwhelming. So um, we're hoping we'll always get more people entering because it's great. It's great getting people taking part. What we may well do next time is put all the entries onto the website. 
and give the judges a chance to kind of before the show go through and pick 20 pictures from there or something like that we haven't decided exactly how this is going to work yet uh, but then talk about those on the show and make their pick from there so it might be slightly different next time so the rules are going to change very slightly but the main thing is find a cheap camera for 20 quid or 20 dollars or whatever it is in wherever you live 20 euros um, a cheap camera some cheap old film and go and take some pictures on the subject there's going at the time which at the moment is food um, so everyone eats this should be a nice easy subject or maybe you can get some really different takes on the idea of uh, shooting food um, and it is open until the end of May so you've got plenty of time to get out there and shoot still for this and as I said get your favourite two pictures sent in to us at sunny16podcast at gmail.com um, and uh, yeah exactly what will happen with them then not nailed down yet but uh, that's all you need to do that's all you guys need to worry about at the moment and we will have more news once we've got the website and everything sorted um and last email is from friend of the show john burns rach do you want to read this yeah sure john says dear sunbeams um thanks for the latest podcast you have been my companion whilst in hospital recovering um uh sorry recovering information from uh, brain tumor surgery so um hope you're getting better from that john um it's the biggest challenge of my life to date although i did not try the latest cheap shots challenge so perhaps i should review this <laughs> well there we go there's a, another another listener i hopefully on board with that my perspective on the nhs uh, it's changed quite a lot what amazing things we have filled uh, with everyday superhero staff they are absolutely brilliant uh, i thank god for their support every day and much love from john burns which is very sweet and thank you very much john i'm sure we would all echo the sentiments of that yeah and get well soon john i, I can't yeah I, I to be honest and being fair exciting and um, difficult though the cheap shots challenge was in the last round i don't think it quite competes with having a, a brain tumor removed so um yes speedy recovery speedy recovery um rach do you want to mention very quickly mm. just a quick reminder about worldwide pinhole day yeah so uh the worldwide pinhole photography day is coming up on the 29th of april so uh obviously you'll be with me shooting the wedding on the 28th graham and then the following day is worldwide pinhole photography day uh, so that's on the sunday up. sunday the 29th it's also i found out happens to be the beer fest the local beer festival <laughs> that day so uh perfect for us right we can uh, have a beer and set up our pinhole cameras and off we go Sounds so um it should be quite a nice photographic weekend for us, hopefully. Um, and you can recover using all your pinhole um, techniques from uh, from the day before. I should probably just point out that although you are bringing AIDS digital camera, and obviously I will also be shooting with my digital camera, we will also be shooting with film and our analog cameras. So, uh, or I'll be shooting with my analog camera. You don't need to worry about it. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to add extra um, trauma to this for you already. So, uh, no, be great. It's going to be great. Don't you worry. Digital funk on me. I have to wash myself off. <laughs> Girl. So, well, there we go. We can make it into a into a weekend where we can cover all of it that we that we possibly need to. So, uh, so yes. Yeah, so that's on Sunday, the 29th of April, and I look forward to uh, hearing more about what everybody else is up to um, with that. So, yeah. uh, uh, Tristan, have you done much pinhole work? Is that something you've investigated yet, or are um, you going to have a look at that? My friend lent me his pinhole, and it. It stayed uh, kind of in its case for a year until yeah. I give it back. I would love to, and I'm interested in. You've got the Ondu pinhole, haven't you, Graham? Said, yeah. Mm -hmm. Have you both got, both got one? How's yes. that? And and if I was to get one, which 
format should I get? Uh, I, I, it's very hard not to recommend the um, the six by twelve multi format simply because, as the name suggests, right. you can you can yeah. do either six by six, six by seven, or six by twelve. So obviously, you're, you're always going to do six by twelve because if you can do six by twelve, why wouldn't you? Um, yeah, I mean they're, they're beautifully made things. Um, they're they're really nice to use. Uh, the only small downside with them is that it's a a getting filters on them is kind of a faff um so if you want to use filters that's tricky but uh, other than that no they're they're really nice things and as cameras to put on your bedside table and look at could not be they are are a thing of beauty (laughs) absolutely they're they're really nicely made things so yeah i i I do love mine it's a really nice camera even after aid dropped it and broke it um (gasps) (laughs) which i I definitely am not bringing up just to make him feel bad uh, over in canadia um right Well, I think that's us done, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It is. I think so. Tristan, please tell us all the places that people can find you and find out information about Sydney and Friends again, please. Right. So for the film Sydney and Friends, you can find out more about the film and where it's screening with upstate screenings on sydneyandfriends.com. That's Sydney with an I. Um, you can also follow Sydney and Friends on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter at Sydney Kenya Film and you my website is tristanhson.com and you can follow me on Instagram which is tristan.photo and on Twitter uh, tmghson Awesome, fantastic, and as I said, there will be links to all of that in the show notes um, because uh, people are confused as well. There's an N in Aitchison now because I keep, cause there's I keep no putting N it there. There never I... has been. There's one at the end, but there's nothing in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> Is that like you, Graham? Oh <laughs> uh, uh, well, <laughs> what are you going to do? It's um, Rach, your pictures yeah. for the. Um, the stuff you were working on recently, uh, and the name of that, I've forgotten. I'm worried now. No, I no, no. The, the pictures that you did for your um, Enchanted Garden shoot, are those oh, going to yes. be on, online for people to see? Uh, no, not yet. No, not yet. Good work. <laughs> well, I, look, no, look, I, I sent you and Aid the link so you could have a little look and and tell me what you thought of it. So, uh, yeah, that that's as far as it's got okay, so well, far. I've only I've I've got 35 mils. What's that? Nothing, nothing at all. I'm joking. Um, <clears throat> Anybody who is following us on Twitter or Instagram, keep an eye on what uh, Rach and I are up to next week because we're going on an adventure because Show 100 is coming up and we've got stuff to do and it's very exciting. Um, but we uh, we don't want to talk about it right now because we'll jinx it. But um, yeah, watch watch Twitter and Instagram next week to see what we're up to. Uh, I, think, I think you'll like it. Um, and yeah, that's us for this week. You can find us and all our podcasts at sunny16.podbean.com which is a great place to go and read the show notes with all the links we were just talking about. Um, Obviously, we are on Instagram and Twitter at Sunny16Podcast and on Facebook at Sunny16Podcast as well. And we're trying to be busy on all of those and mm-hmm. failing. You also have a, um, a caption competition that you'll need to judge, Graham, and send off some of your huge roll of 200 foot or 250 foot 250 film that you had. Foot. That is very true. Sorry. Yes, I have not forgotten about that. So I have as yet not got the film off the canister. But no, we need to speak to Anil, get him to judge those wonderful uh, I use the word wonderful uh, very uh, subjectively <laughs> um, submission so yes we will get that done before next week he says optimistically and 
let the listeners know who has won this fantastic, probably completely ruined film by the time you get to you. Um, and we should also mention before we go the fact that we are asking our our lovely listeners if possible and quite a few of you have already done this to vote for us in the um british podcast awards because oh, that yeah. would be wonderful <laughs> and i realized that you were going to forget to say this so i, I thought i'd best forgotten. just mention yeah. it <laughs> yeah exactly yeah the, the, the british podcast awards as i put on twitter just, just, because it's funny just go and vote for us even if it's a sarcastic vote we will take we it. don't care we'll we take it we'll yeah it. we want somebody that they're going who on earth are these people and why is anybody <laughs> voting for them? So please uh, go online and do that. It takes two seconds and um, they promise not to sell your information to Cambridge Analytica. So it's all good. We will be back next week with another one of these, show 99. Um, good grief. I cannot believe <laughs> we, are, we are absolutely going to make it to show 100 unless the world explodes in a fireball, which I suppose <laughs> is quite likely. Tristan, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, it's been a an absolute delight hearing from you and hearing about what you've been up to. Uh, Thank you so much for having me on, guys. It's been a pleasure and I've loved it. And, oh, it's been so lovely. And very best of luck with um, mm -hmm. taking the film all around the world. And um, yeah, Thank I said, you. I cannot wait to watch it myself. Uh, I am going to um, <laughs> be prepared for lots of gloving because, yeah, it does look, uh, it looks kind of amazing and um, I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, we will see you guys next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Yeah, nailed it, Tristan. <laughs> Woo, that was a lovely goodbye. <laughs>